There's something happening in the world of media these days that has got to make you scratch your head. Every few days, some prominent reporter will announce that they're leaving their big fancy media company and going at it alone. They're making their own publication and they ask you to subscribe to their email newsletter. That's hosted by a company called Substack, but it all feels really old fashioned using email. And what I wonder is if this is just some fringe idea or if this is the future of media unfolding before our eyes. Here to answer this question of why would anybody do this is Recoach Peter Kafka. Hey, Peter. Hey, Teddy. So let's just start with the basics. What is Substack? Substack is a, a service that is supposed to help writers, maybe someone like you, Teddy, create and distribute their own newsletters. And if they want to sell those newsletters, it will help them sell those newsletters as well. There have been other services like this, but this is supposed to be sort of the one that is helps, it's soup to nuts, sort of helps you publish, send this stuff out, and, and then monetize it. The idea is you're sort of a media entrepreneur, you have your own publication, you know, it will help you with the, the hard business stuff, but you're your own brand, right? And you can have your own newsletter and be your own company. You make your own thing and we'll help you with all the, the back. You're good at writing and thinking and reporting, whatever that part is, making the stuff. And we'll help with the, everything on the back end that you don't know how to do or don't want to spend time figuring out. So we'll get into the business side of this in a second. But I mean, are there certain types of people, certain types of journalists, at least among the early adopters who are defining the platform? That is an interesting and tricky question. Substack will tell you all kinds of people use Substack for all kinds of things early on. Um, you know, they talked to me about a guy they brought on who specialized in, in, in U.S.-China affairs. And the idea was like anyone who had sort of a smaller audience that wanted to figure out how to reach them directly could go there. And that is true. But what they are sort of becoming well known for in the last six months or so is a series of men leaving publications that were either kind of center left slash pretty liberal and saying, there's no place for me to work here anymore. I'm going to go to Substack where no one's going to tell me what to do. That includes people like Glenn Greenwald from The Intercept, Andrew Sullivan from New York Magazine, which is owned by our parent company, Vox Media, Matt Iglesias, who worked with us at Vox until last week and just went to go do the same thing. And a few other writers who are sort of known for being sort of not as lefty as the places they used to work for. Um, and it is getting a reputation for being a place for for that kind of guy and emphasis on guy. Not not, not exclusively. Uh, Judd Legum um, does a lefty sort of uh, corporate accountability thing that's quite good. There's lots of other folks who are doing stuff, but that is what Substack is kind of becoming known for. And just at a high level, like, why do people do this? Is it just, you know, a bet on themselves? You know, I understand some people may feel politically suffocated uh, at their publications, but why leave, you know, uh, a well-paying job at a publication that people know to start your own thing? So there's two different things. You don't have to leave your company or do anything else to do a Substack. You could do it as a, as a side gig or just for fun. Right. But some people, some people are doing it as a full-time job. Some people yeah. are leaving their jobs. And some people are saying, I think it makes more sense for me economically to go do this. Um, there's a way where if I get not that many subscribers, I can equal or exceed the current salary I have. Maybe I don't have a lot of faith in the future of big media companies. Mm -hmm. And then like you mentioned, and like we talked about, some people were saying, look, it's just not compatible for me to work with this group of people. I'm going to do it on my own. And we have, you know, this is kind of a cyclical thing, right, that we've seen over the internet for some time where people who work at 
big publications or media companies say, I'm kind of, I don't need this. Right. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. And the, the, another cycle we, we see coming in and out of Vogue is, is email. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. Yeah. It's a very old uh, uh, mechanism. Uh, people complain about it a lot. Everyone still uses it. And periodically, every couple of years, someone says, hey, there's a business here in email. So there was Daily Candy a long time ago, and then more recently, The Skim. And I just did a story about Morning Brew, which is a newsletter company selling itself after a couple of years for a lot of money to, to business insiders. So there's still a mechanism. Email still really works well in some cases. And, and periodically, media entrepreneurs, media creators discover that that's a good way to send that stuff out. This sounds like it could be a lot of fun, right? As a to be an entrepreneur, to run your own company, you know, bet on yourself. Talk me through like the business here. Is this going to be something that you think is just like doable for a few stars who have just this brand that everyone will pay for? Or do you see this as something that could take off and could be, you know, the future of media? I mean, in theory, this doesn't have to be limited to one person and email. This could be a couple people could have a Substack together. And there's no reason that Substack has to limit itself to, to email. Uh, I think they're already sort of tinkering around with podcasts. Uh, but still the same idea. We're going to send this stuff out. We're going to monetize it for you. There's a couple different Substack models. There's a free one where you just make stuff for free and send it out for free. What Substack wants to do is have a bunch of people, a lot of people reaching relatively small audiences, uh, monetizing them, and then Substack will take a small cut of that. Okay. And you can see why a venture capitalist, this is funded by Andreessen Horowitz, would like this model because it's a way to, it's a scalable way to create a media company in theory. The problem with with media companies is you keep having to hire more people to make more content. And here you escape that problem. You don't have to hire anyone to make content because they're making it for free and you're just skimming a little bit off the top. And long-winded answer, I don't think that most people will be able to make a living doing this. I think this is like blogging and podcasting and lots of other sort of easy to get into uh, forms of media where it's very easy to create and it's very hard to consistently create something that is compelling for people to spend their time on, let alone their money on. Sure. And that's what I think most people will find challenging. It feels, I mean, safe to say this is riskier, right, than a traditional media job where, you know, if, you, if you're slacking off one week, you know, you're not going to get fired. Uh, here, I mean, if you slack off one week, you could lose a subscriber. And, you you, know, you got to earn it every day. And that's, right. a much, that's a much fairer form of capitalism, you might argue. Uh, it's also a terrifying form of capitalism. I get the counter to all that is look around the world. There's no safe job. Right. You know, there's a handful of sort of sinecure job and there's, a, you know, there's a handful of media organizations that look relatively well insulated from the rest of the world economically. But, you know, we could wake up uh, tomorrow and find that Vox Media has been sold to Company X and we wouldn't feel that safe in our jobs at that point. So why not? And by the way, um, what you what you also see in, in the case of two of our colleagues who have left Vox Media, they don't completely leave. So Matt Iglesias is is doing his own Substack, but he's going to stay working on a Vox Media podcast. Uh, Casey Newton from The Verge is going to continue to publish at The Verge. So you might see more of these sort of hybrid jobs. I got two more things for you. One is like, I mean, we haven't talked that much about the readers and and the audience and frankly, public life. Is this good for people? It feels like one conclusion of this is that there's going to be all this sort of niche content that appeals to people who can pay for it, right? Who can who want to pay for, you know, a ton of information about China because maybe they their job depends on it. Or is there any concern you think about just the overall public being less informed if someone is no longer working for a free publication or 
working as part of a bundle they pay a subscription to. You know, should what what should the public be getting? It's bigger than a Substack issue. Sure. It's right. Everyone is trying to is trying some kind of paywall model, some way some way of getting revenue out of a subscriber at, at Vox.com, where we work. We're asking readers to make contributions, but it's free for now. And yeah, it's obviously alarming that you. And this has been happening since the dawn of the internet that we're getting bifurcated into a world of people who are really taking advantage of the internet to sort of consume all the information. They're exceptionally well informed, and then every. Everyone else is people pay for 15 substacks or something like that. Yeah. And, and, right. and it's great. And the idea of niche media is great. Like if you're interested in China affairs and, and Bill Bishop, I think is the substack author who does that. Great. It's great that you can access him. You, you know, in the old days before the internet, you'd have no way of reaching him and he wouldn't have, have any way of reaching you. So that's a good thing. But you end up with a large swath of population that is getting free crummy content. And that's a problem. I do think for the substack creators themselves, you're generally seeing, at least right now, a lot of people who have some kind of domain expertise, but they're not doing a lot of original reporting at this point. They're sort of riffing off of other stuff. Again, that's that's there's value in that. But, um, you know, they're on their own. Um, I think, you know, what you're not going to do is see a lot of them sort of breaking big stories, sort of doing a bunch of investigations. There are some exceptions, but I think there are some things that you just can't do as a one man or woman shop. Last thing is uh, you had Chris Best, the CEO, on your Recode Media podcast. Uh, where does he see this headed? You know, there's some obvious questions like the ones I asked him. And one was like all these individual writers making making uh, substacks. Maybe you should bundle them all. And it would be like a magazine or a newspaper is our version of that. And he hemmed and hawed. But it seems quite right. clear to me that substack will have to sort of start grouping some of these folks together, either for economic reasons or just to make it so you can learn more about individual writers. Uh, my inbox is full up right now. It's going to be very hard to convince me to sign up for another Substack. But if you said, here's 10 great writers writing about stuff you're interested in, and you only know about three of them, that's kind of interesting. You can listen to more of Peter's conversation with Substack's founder on his podcast, Rico Media. Peter, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Teddy. 